Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. For my first interview, I'm just going to jump right in and discuss adjuncting. I'm sure there are many of you, as artists, hoping for careers in academia, and you're familiar with what an adjunct is. For those who aren't, don't worry, we're gonna get to that. So I'm new to Philadelphia. I've been there about eight months. And in 2016, I had went to Munich Jewelry Week and met a group of girls. And one of them was Emily Cobb. And so in Philly, I kept wanting to hang out with her, but I realized Emily is extremely busy. I mean, the woman's schedule is ridiculous. And that's when I realized that she's an adjunct professor at multiple institutions and would probably be the best person to speak of what kind of experience that is. Emily is a jewelry designer and a maker. She utilizes digital technology and traditional fabrication techniques in her work. She's a huge Harry Potter fan, has a killer collection of eyewear, and she's been in the adjunct hustle for quite a while. So please welcome Emily Cobb. College. <laughs> I did go a few times. It was fun. Okay, so Miss Emily Cobb. Yes. Hi. How Hi. Are you? I'm great. Good. <laughs> Thanks for joining me in my living room. My pleasure. My classy recording studio. Um, so you have some big news. You just got hired. I did. Somewhere. <laughs> you want to? Sure. I just got, uh, I'll say the full title. I just received a full-time <laughs> tenure-track position as assistant professor in jewelry and small metals at Humboldt State University in Northern California. That is amazing. I'm very, It's very surreal. I'm very excited. Congratulations. Lots of mixed feelings. I love Philadelphia. I'm a little annoyed. I just got here and you're leaving. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like we're ships passing in the night. Uh, but Philly's a good place to be. You won't be disappointed. I'm excited. I've been here a mm-hmm. year and it's like, it's okay so far. Yeah. You, I, I lived in Seattle and I put it on a pedestal, but I hated Seattle for the first two years I lived there. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's like, huh. Give Philly some time. Yeah. You won't want to leave. So Humboldt, you're leaving. Mm-hmm. And that's really exciting because how long have you been teaching? I've been teaching five years. Okay. So you mm-hmm. graduated with your, let's start at the basics, shall we? Sure. <laughs> hey, um, tell me where you got your undergrad and tell yeah. me where you got your MFA. So I did maybe a more unconventional route and I received my BFA from Tyler School of Art in 2005 after a five-year prolonged stint. And then I went on to graduate school in the same program. So I only had a summer in between the two. And from 2010 until 2012, mm-hmm. I went for my master's degree at Tyler School of Art. 
Cool. Mm-hmm. So why did you go to the same place for graduate school? Because that doesn't usually happen, right? Right. That Yeah. Hence, okay. it's very unconventional. Uh, for me, the major reason I wanted to go there is I wanted to pursue 3D modeling and computer-aided design in my thesis work. And at the time, it was the only school that I knew of that allowed me to do that creatively. I also feel like it's a point to bring up that it was what 2010 when I was graduating which Mm -hmm. was only two years after that major economic crash oh so you know it was a time in my life where leaving the academic environment seemed really terrifying yeah and I was a very lucky recipient of a assistantship so that I could teach as a graduate student and that I could also be a lab tech with 3D printers. So that funding really convinced me not to take the usual one to two years off. Mm -hmm. And just, I continued right into graduate school. That was gonna be my next question. Okay, Mm -hmm. so when you say that funding or tech, that means that you got a, did you get a full ride? I got a full ride between the two, what they would call an assistantship. So one was a teaching assistantship and the other was a tech, assistantship so in terms of you know how the current economic environment was and the uncertainty around that and the fact that i was able to get two very awesome assistantships to allow me to continue on to grad school it really was a no-brainer um one of the best questions i was ever asked is like where do you want to be in five years Mm -hmm. and i did not want to be designing cad in a nine to five corporate job. So that was kind of one of the routes I could have taken. Yeah. Uh, And I decided I'd much rather teach, definitely knew I wanted to teach at that point and continue to make my own work. And graduate school seemed to be the natural path for that. And so, so you're a Philly girl. Are you born and raised in Philly? Uh, just outside Philadelphia. Does that um, mean Jersey? No, sorry, Jersey. <laughs> no offense, <laughs> it means, Jersey. Uh, uh, Delco, uh, Delaware County. Okay. And my mother grew up though in in Philadelphia. So growing up, Philly was not a stranger to us at all. Okay, we were and there a lot. Who? What are your parents like? Are they? They're rad. I won the parent lottery. As I like to put it, they're both teachers, both retired teachers at this point. But when I was in college, my dad was still teaching in high school. My mom was teaching middle school. My 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 uh, my sister teaches elementary school, and the joke is, I teach college. Your whole family teachers. Complete set. That's funny. (laughs) I remember my grandpa the day I got my like FAFSA or whatever thing. It was like, oh, these many loans. He's like, you should just get a full time job. Try making a living. I was like, how dare you? I'm going to college. And then I was like, dang, he was totally right. Um, Well, that's cool. So I'm having you here today because I want to talk about what I lovingly refer to as the adjunct hustle. Um, Yes, I know it well. (laughs) And honestly, I don't know it at all. So this is going to be me being completely naive and you filling me in. The first time I ever heard about adjunct anything was while I was living at the Penland School of Crafts. And that was only because someone said that they were an adjunct. And I looked at them (laughs) cross-eyed. So um, if you could give me a breakdown of what actually an adjunct is and what that means. Sure. So adjunct is a position at a college or university where you are hired per semester, per class, with a contract. I'm going to stop you right there Mm -hmm. because I have a question real quick. Does that mean that you literally have to reapply at each place that you teach every time? Like, 
What's interesting about an adjunct position is often it is who you know or where you have previously taught. So there isn't usually, nor have I ever experienced a true application to get hired as an adjunct. It is usually through word of mouth or your alma mater or a position open at a university and the person who's leaving recommends you. There are not usually formal searches for adjuncts. Like there, you're not coming in and getting interviewed and exactly. they'll call you back and maybe things will happen. Exactly. So okay. there, there is that they do exist. If mm-hmm. you go on higheredjobs.com, you will see adjunct postings. But normally, especially in a city like Philadelphia, where everyone is really well connected in the art community, mm-hmm. it is through word of mouth. And then there is usually, you know, paperwork that has to be filled out afterwards but i don't think i ever remember filling out an adjunct application to get an adjunct (laughs) position okay (laughs) so uh you know for example at tyler my first adjunct um position there was teaching in 3d foundations and then a course at in the metals department at tyler especially because they're two different departments i received two different contracts and I sign them and it's very clear on there, you are hired for the semester with no guarantee of further employment. Okay. So, you know, for four months, you know you'll get employed. You often don't get that contract officially Mm -hmm. until the summer for the fall semester or late December for the spring semester. Uh, You usually beforehand through word of mouth are convinced that you do have a job. Okay. But, you know, that moment where you sign it is the moment where you know, oh, I will have income. So you're going to have like the wink, wink, don't worry. Until exactly. You I it. mean, fortunately, I have worked for some very amazing supervisors who have kept me very well informed about what classes I will be teaching, when I'll be teaching them, and if it looks like they will run. Sometimes things are out of my supervisor's hands if there aren't enough students for a class to run. Oh. I might lose a class at the last minute. Um, if there, you know, is a change in the scheduling and I'm balancing multiple jobs. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. So there are a lot of, uh, obstacles going through, even just scheduling is a good one. When adjunct classes are available, you know, art classes are two and a half hours long, twice a week. I Mm -hmm. found normally some schools, they're one day a week for five to six hours. Imagine fitting that into multiple universities or to other part-time jobs. Man, girl, I bet your Google calendar is crazy. There's the adjunct hustle. (laughs) That's the adjunct (laughs) hustle. That's where that becomes more visible. Um, So then my question for you is, how do you get paid? Is it like, oh, you literally have a time clock and you're clocking in. So once you walk on campus, you're getting paid or you're kind of salary or you sign a contract saying they'll give you a hundred bucks for this class. The last one is the most accurate. Um, The contract will pretty much state this is uh, what you will get paid. Mm -hmm. And these are the parameters that we feel you're getting paid within. So, for example, most schools will either say this is a three credit class. So this is what we pay an adjunct to teach that. If it's a two credit class, it may be less money. Um, And obviously, as the credit's lower. Why would it be? Does that mean like you're going to have to... Mm -hmm completely naive here (laughs) sure three hour credit cross does that literally mean the class is three hours long no okay uh not always and you know i would have to also google this (laughs) (laughs) um but usually i have found that it correlates to how many what they call contact hours there are a week for a course okay but i have found that that is also not necessarily consistent 
um, each university has its own parameters for how many hours a week a class needs to meet. Mm-hmm. So at one school, I might be teaching a three credit three credit course that is pretty identical to a course at another school I am teaching, but the pay can be significantly different. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. So there's oh. so consistency between schools, especially private versus state funded mm-hmm. or state to state will change. So let me get this straight. There's not really any regulation on this necessarily between schools. Like it's not like everybody follows this code of contact. Like, <laughs> well, I'm sure there is regulation. In fact, I'm positive that there is regulation within yeah. each university. Okay, but each university university is its own like little universe. Good. Yes, I like okay. that. Sorry. Analogy. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Can I call them it a is universe? A universe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> university universe. University. That's where my mind. Or university. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, definitely. Um, so that makes it kind of fun and always an interesting game when you get hired somewhere new is you always are thinking, oh, I wonder what will be the same, what will be different um, requirements of me in terms of, so kind of back to contact hours. So mm-hmm. for example, at most schools, they'll say this class runs from 8 to 10.30 on Mondays and Wednesdays. So that equals five contact hours. Yeah. Thus, we pay you this much based off of that, which then brings us to the question that you said, oh, do you clock in and clock out? Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, that is officially what I'm being paid for, is to come in, teach the class, Mm -hmm. and leave. Obviously, if you've ever taught anything. I have. (laughs) I I started teaching last year, and the thing that I thought was crazy was, I was taught, I was, yeah, I was paid for how many hours the workshop was, but I was teaching a casting workshop. So I had to wake up at like seven in the morning, Mm -hmm. turn on the kiln, come back, check it. None of that was paid because it wasn't Mm -hmm. part of the workshop hours. But it was part of making the class successful. So what do you call that? Like non-classroom hours or? Out of, yeah, out of class hours. You guys lingo for that? Is there adjunct um, lingo? (laughs) Every other hour (laughs) other than the hours I'm there. Because, I mean, I think a lot of teachers would say and agree that you never really clock out when you're teaching a a full course load. You're Mm. constantly. But yes, like something like running a kiln that is pretty cut and dry, like this is to make the class successful and run. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not paid for that. It's out of contract hours, maybe is what I'd call it. Um, as an well, also like grading papers, mm-hmm. but you're okay. Yeah. yeah. Do you give Do you get papers? Uh, <laughs> no, but I get projects. <laughs> yeah, you get projects. You know, and I collect them very similar to how teachers collect papers, so that okay. I can then read through them slash look at them longer and debate. Uh, and yeah, grading is still a huge component throughout the semester and also at the end of the semester where I am right now mm-hmm. and submitting grades, students out there, we think about it a lot, <laughs> you know, unpaid hours <laughs> thinking about it, <laughs> you know, I take it every part of it. I take seriously because I, as I realized becoming an adjunct, as a student, I was lucky to not realize really the difference between one professor slash instructor to the next in terms of what their um, ranking was. Oh, yeah. Um, I was definitely naive to that. And that naiveness led to my surprise when I became an adjunct 
Mm. I some of my favorite or most memorable or most impacting professors I've come to realize were adjuncts. And that is not to say that I have many full-time faculty that are also in that category, but it is pretty amazing to me how fluid that is and how it, there's not an obvious mark. Yeah, there's no mark. They're not telling the students. There's no like, scarlet letter. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> like, they're like, welcome to this class. You get to be with the tenure track professor. And there's like music playing as you walk in. And <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and I think that that is a, a positive you know, comment on how dedicated all these teachers are, but it definitely led to a complete misconception of the reality behind everyone's, you know, academic experience in life and employment and income and everything that now as a almost 30 year old, I realize is a huge part of life, you know, post-academic life. So let's, uh, let's just jump into the kind of things I like to talk about. Um, I don't know if you know that this podcast is all about broaching the subject of money with artists. Ooh, broaching subjects. Thank you. I thought about that pun and I was like, yes. But also I was just like broaching the subject. Well, it's just like, I'm going to talk about money. I'm going to be, it's a taboo subject, right? So I'm trying to make it sound as classy as possible. Mm -hmm. That was it. Um, but okay. So can you break down to me what you get paid? Let's talk some numbers. And I know you (laughs) came prepared. And I'm very excited for that. (laughs) I know. This is where the vulnerability of coming in on here is. I have to admit, I avoided this since you asked me to do this. Yeah. For Uh, everybody listening, like, (laughs) I give you a heads up. I'm going to ask this question. You have time to prepare. Um, Look at your tax returns. So usually I only faced reality when I got my contract and I had to sort of think, oh, Okay, this is what I'm going to get paid. So I... Wait, but I want to stop you there because the experience outweighed what you were getting. I mean, to be able to go to a job where it's not that it's not stressful, it's not that it's not hard work, and sometimes I want to roll over when it's six in the morning and my Mm -hmm. alarm goes off, but to really wake up and go to something every day that doesn't feel like a job is, you know, worth a lot. Yeah, that's huge. It's huge. I mean, right now, passion projects. This is a quasi-passion project. Passion project. <laughs> Adjuncting is a passion project. Yeah. For sure. Um, and which I think is maybe part of the reason I was uncomfortable with actually breaking down. Because now I have a record. I was surprised to find out at the institution I've been teaching at for the longest, which is Tyler School of Art, um, that I can go on and see you know, the past five years of my income. Yeah. And so over the past five years, I've made roughly about $75,000. Okay. Teaching two courses consistently each semester. Okay. So what we would call a 2-2 load. Oh, lingo. Lingo. Love it. Um, which you will see on postings for jobs, you know, 2-3, 2-2. Oh, yeah. I was Googling things and I was reading them and I was like, I don't know. What the hell is this? I have no idea. So 3-3, So teaching a 2-2 at one institution for the last five years consistently broke down to roughly $15,000 for the academic year. Whew. Okay. So, you know, when I think about, well, how did I survive? I start to go, oh, well, you didn't just teach there. Yeah. You taught almost every year for the last five years at some other school. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the last two years, out of necessity of the off months, like the four months during the summer, Mm-hmm. I got a part-time job as a jeweler. So 
then that's where I get to what I know I, I applied for on my taxes, but pretty yeah. much teaching a pretty full load um, with considering outside of classroom hours, a yeah. full-time job in my mind um, was about 15,000 a year, which was pretty stifling to see. Yeah, because that's like, if you break that down hourly, because I'm thinking about what I make a year and my hourly, that's a, that's less than $10 an hour. Yes, there was one semester <laughs> where I was commuting um, down to Towson University in Maryland, which is an amazing school, mm-hmm. and was teaching at Tyler, which is also an amazing school, and teaching really cool classes. But it was about two years out of starting to adjunct, and I thought, let me start to clock my hours, and mm-hmm. I'm just curious. And it it was below 10 yeah. an hour, if you clock in grading and very concrete things and so the hard thing here too is because it's like you need a job Mm -hmm. and you so badly want to get I mean if you're teaching adjunct I assume that you want to someday be a tenure track professor that's the dream right for I would say for most of us yes yeah Mm -hmm. um and but you need that experience and you need to stay active teaching to keep applying to those so Mm -hmm. it's kind of this double-edged sword where it's like you're not really making enough money to live off of it so you have to hustle but you have to do that to keep going to what you need to do Mm -hmm. and there's and it's I don't want it to always seem like we're just talking about the negatives here there is positives to them but when I was googling trying to find the positives and then seeing the negatives it was a little hard for me so for will you break it down for me what you think is the most valuable reason to be adjuncting and beyond wanting sure. to be a tenure track <laughs> professor okay we got um, that That's and, the and there's two perspectives on that i think as a, for students i think it's beneficial that you have very contemporary current you know recent graduates in the field helping people that they aren't 10 20 30 years apart from mm-hmm. because it, it keeps the perspective different or you know every year you know we have the internet now like we didn't have that how many years ago and yeah you know whatever like 3d printing and all these things um so i think like first from a student's perspective like i loved having this eclectic mix of teachers if it was my school could allow it i didn't you know as much as i might have liked the full-time faculty it was fun to have someone different for a class mm-hmm. that maybe just looked at the world differently yeah so i think like for offering students a variety of approaches to teaching and a variety of techniques and you know maybe different classes because maybe you can bring in an adjunct that has a skill i think it's great um i think the for adjuncts it's great because it does offer a lot of flexibility you do have the summers off you do have the winter off and you know there are conferences there are you know um, artistic opportunities like residencies and things like that that may you know, if you had a nine to five job, be impossible to do. You can't just say. Or, you know, the other perspective of it is like someone like you that wants to be teaching some t- full time, but there might be somebody else that has a full time studio practice that needs just like an extra cash. Exactly. Or they're a mother, but they mm-hmm. want to keep like in the field mm-hmm. or et cetera. So there's different ways to look at that. Yeah. And I think you're kind of hitting, starting to hit the nail on the head or come to this conclusion that I think is the issue with adjuncting is there's, a lot of positives to it and to having adjuncts in a university. And that's mm-hmm. not what I'm trying to, you know, say we should get rid of adjuncts. The problem that I have at least witnessed 
is the amount of adjuncts versus full-time faculty has just drastically changed throughout the years. So yeah. it used to be the active artists that they would pull in for an evening class to get a perspective that's different than someone who's a full-time teacher or to pull in you know, a visiting artist who's in the area for a residency for the semester. There was a benefit to having that ability to hire someone by a contract only for three to four months. Perfect. Yeah. The issue is that I feel that universities have become way more business oriented, way more profit oriented, and we're cheaper, disposable, easy yeah. labor. I'm going to you know. go ahead and bring up the research I did on this a little bit. <laughs> Please do. Um, so share of U.S. college. And this is from the Huffington Post. I like Huffington Post. This was published 11-11-2013. Um, article entitled, Nine Reasons Why Being an Adjunct fa Faculty Member is Terrible. So maybe there's like, you know... a they're looking at the negative, but whatever. Um, but it is share of U.S. college and university faculty faculty by tenure, and it's between 1969 and 2009. Um, in 1969, 78.3% of faculty were tenured, and 21.7% were adjunct given 2009, where 33.5% are tenured and 65.5% are adjunct. And when I read into this and not being a part of the field and mm -hmm. doing that, um, the one thing that really stuck out to me, and it's kind of how I feel like in other jobs that I've experienced where they keep me at 38 hours a week, that I'm just <laughs> below full-time, mm -hmm. so they don't have to give me benefits mm -hmm. or health insurance or all the other goodies. And for me that it's, what is it called? It's your, your contractor. So is your um, tax return, do you get a 1099 from everyone? I do not. I still get a W-2. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. For me. That's yeah, yeah, been yeah. my experience. But yeah. Mm -hmm. But I mean, reading onto this, you know, I was comparing it to this whole thing with FedEx where they had a huge lawsuit a couple of years ago where they were contracting all their drivers, which made my jaw drop. Because when you think of FedEx, you think of their workforce, it is their drivers. <laughs> they are literally a company that delivers products to people. And so I just kind of compared that to an adjunct in my mind at a university where literally their job is to teach people things and they are contracting out their delivery drivers. Yeah. Did you like that? I love metaphor? that. That's great. Thank you. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> um, so that for me is where I get a little bit like, oh, this doesn't feel mm -hmm. right to me. And I'm not even an adjunct. But exactly. And, and that's, I think, where as different as all adjunct experiences may be across the world or nation, we all come back to that statistic that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. There has been a major structural change in universities mm -hmm. and is not, in my opinion, to the benefit of really anybody. Yeah. Um, you know, we're adjunct hustling and it's become kind of this way that we like laugh it off and deal with, oh, we're just doing the hustle. Like the way that we've accepted busy, I feel like in our generation, like I'm just busy. Oh, yeah. It's become this thing that you just are. If you work 40 hours a week, you're a slacker. What are you right? doing? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, another podcast for another time. But <laughs> I think the, the main point is that this structure has changed, but a lot of other things haven't. So you still have the same or similar 
approach to getting your MFA to maybe get a full-time teaching position. But the number of positions that are available are now so much less for full-time. And even the full-time tenure track is becoming this unicorn where it's offered and it's like amazing that any institution these days is able to offer that when someone is retiring or wow, maybe they got money. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like the baby you know? boomers. It's like you went to college, mm-hmm. you graduated, you got a job, you were almost guaranteed to get a job. If you got your MFA, boom, you made it. And now it's like, oh, you got your MFA, cool. Yeah. You know, it's like... But we're more expensive to hire full-time, you know? Yeah. That's, and that's where it's coming down to schools being run more like a business. They're looking at the numbers, I'm sure. They're looking at how many people want these adjunct positions, mm-hmm. how much they have to pay to- Supply and demand. Supply and demand versus long-term longevity and quality for a school to have a professor that's there researching, building up a program, dedicating the, the time, blood, sweat, and tears, I know, I'm sure we'll find out shortly, goes mm-hmm. into being a full-time professor and m- keeping a program afloat. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure on both ways. I'm sure. Yeah. And I can only imagine how this has impacted full-time faculty having way less full-time faculty. Um, But I just, I think it just comes back to how I feel so much of it is like a business. And I read, I can't remember the article, but I remember reading it recently where they compared if this happened in a hospital Mm -hmm. instead of having these doctors who have been there for years and have gained this experience and knowledge within the hospital, if they just started hiring constantly contract doctors that were coming in and overworked and having to work at multiple hospitals. And, you know, if hospitals might be one of the last holdouts, although you could get a nurse on here or a doctor on here, maybe they'll tell you something different. But in my mind, they're like the last holdout of like, you know, we're not willing to risk our our health and our well-being, but we're now risking our education. And that's what I think scares me the most is if a school becomes a business and we're trying to, you know, make it so that there's a profit, I just, education, you know, I feel like the academic environment needs to be protected. So, okay, so someone that's graduating, but you got into adjuncting because you needed the experience, right? Like somewhere you have to start. I mm-hmm. saw this thing on the internet. We can all say that. I printed it out though. I can I can put a link in the description of this podcast to prove it. But it was for a job call for a full-time adjunct position, which seemed ironic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in the description of that, it said you must have an MFA and you must have X amount of teaching years experience. So for someone that goes and gets their MFA and they graduate, you kind of have to try to start it adjunct, right? Like, is this kind of a springboard that has somehow become more of a permanent thing? Again, uh, job to job, posting to posting. I've also heard a full-time adjunct being called a full-time lecturer, the language changes. Oh, uh, you mentioned this <laughs> earlier. Can we get into this lingo? Yeah. Like how everywhere calls everything different? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, my ranking at this point, I believe, is technically adjunct assistant professor. I think it just changed my title as much as I know. Okay. Uh, on my contract, it says that now instead <laughs> of just adjunct instructor. But yeah, so within labeling for jobs, there is lecturer, full-time lecturer, full-time non-tenure track, full-time tenure track, full-time adjunct, adjunct um, faculty pool. 
Ooh, what's which, faculty pool? Which means you get thrown into this imaginary pool I think of every time I see it. And they just like <laughs> want to have your resume in case a idea in their curriculum comes up or an opening comes up. They've got you right there and they're just going to fish you out. Um, so there's, you know, adjunct pools at universities. That's so weird to me. Which is, you know, definitely very strange. Uh, and all of this exists and all of this language exists but pretty much, you know, the big one is full-time tenure track. That's like what you're looking for to know that there's a certain level of job security. Yeah. And that's what that. we all want. Yeah. That's what I'm going for, at least. <laughs> um, okay. So you're going to be moving to California. Yeah. What is something... Okay. Let me throw this question at, at you. What is something you'll miss about adjuncting? Ooh. Um... I actually, in some weird way, love the scope of exploration I've been able to do across different universities and the experience I've been able to get at different schools. Okay, so scope of exploration. Dig in. So, you know, I've taught at this point at Tyler School of Art, Towson mm. University, University of the Arts, and Rowan University. So mm. over the past five years, almost every year, I started teaching at a different school. And I should, I feel like we should say out there is like, you live in Philadelphia. This mm-hmm. place is saturated <laughs> with art schools. Um, it's not going to be the same for somebody living in Madison, Wisconsin. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, move to Philly if you want. <laughs> yeah, you've been very fortunate. But yeah, and that's not even all the schools that mm-hmm. I could list that my peers are working at. But yes, I've been very lucky to live somewhere on the East Coast where it is feasible to commute to schools. I even had, you know, there are opportunities that happen in New York. And if you don't have a crazy schedule, you could even commute up there. But that is what I did enjoy is, you know, I got to meet some amazing faculty um, from other institutions. I got to experience other schools that I didn't go to as a student. I got to experience them as an educator. I got to learn, you know, how other schools work. I got to, in two or three cases, basically develop my own syllabus, which is really great because that is not always an opportunity that you get as an adjunct, you know, to sort of ease our workload. You are often, you know, provided with a syllabus that you are more than welcome to adjust, but by no means are required to because it's not part of your job description. But there were a couple schools where it was a brand new course, mm-hmm. but it was going to be taught by an adjunct. So I had the opportunity to develop curriculum. So I feel like one thing I liked about adjuncting is almost every year there was like a new challenge or there was a new you know perspective that I was going to get. And I see that, that that probably will happen with full time, but it is going to be a huge change for me to have one email address at one <laughs> university and to have, you know, one studio, yeah. one set of policies, one student body. And I'm looking forward to it immensely, but it is something that I really felt like in the last five years, I in some weird way enjoyed Yeah, the, you know, the change every so, year. I mean, adjuncts probably not for everybody. Same thing as bartending, you know. Sure. Yeah, the juggling. I it's like, like all of your comparisons. It's like, so, yeah, I know, I'm just coming from like an industry standard. I'm like, yeah, totally. It's like waitressing. Mm-hmm. Um, one question, when you were talking about something, it's like, oh, I'm going to be at one university and this. Something I did was curious about, do you get an office as an adjunct? Great question. Um, the The normal answer is no. Do you get a parking space? Um, 
Yes and no. That's okay. been my experience. Um, that is a 50-50. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, unfortunately, when I commuted to Maryland, I did not have one. Okay. Uh, and I did try the parking hustle where I had two classes a full day. So I was there like maybe a total of nine hours. Um, and I could do this thing where I would race out in between my classes and try to run down and fill the meter back up because it was cheaper to do meter parking. Oh, no. But if I found out the hard way, if you missed your meter time. Set you back. One time, it <laughs> sets you back a good $75. So then I started paying for lot parking. Um, but at two of my other schools um, where I've needed a car to get to them, I that is one perk that seems to be possible for adjuncts is sometimes you do get parking mm-hmm. um which has been great but yeah that's like the one perk that i sometimes look for well then that kind of got my mind thinking about you know a lot of things i do as an artist or we do as artists um there's the there's the physical paycheck that we're getting but there's the fringe ven- benefits or mm-hmm. instilled value mm-hmm. um so there's the value i'm saying that you are an adjunct and you are working at these places um and another fringe benefit or something I would think of is the energy that you get from the students. Mm-hmm. It's kind of in the same way where I spend a lot of time at craft schools. And when I go on to uh, Penland School of Crafts campus, like I'm immediately just so amped. I'm like, I want to get in the studio and make something. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like as an adjunct, when you're around these undergrads and students that are learning and that like excitement they have, how does that affect your own studio practice? Does that kind of give you like a swift kick to the ass and really want to get in there i mean definitely and and maybe to bring it back to two questions you asked earlier one do i get an office and two what will i miss about adjuncting yeah. is is yes at some schools you know i could use the studio or mm-hmm. i had a bench which yeah. was huge for me at tyler i did have a bench all those years there which was amazing mm-hmm. and yeah i could go into that environment and i never had to leave academia <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and potentially I never will, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, because you know? you're tenure track now. <laughs> but, I, you know, academia is still, I hold fast in my heart, a magical place. Yeah. And obviously you felt it at Penland. And I do feel it when I go in the studio. It's, you know, a life I hope I never have to leave. And that is by far probably the magical drug that keeps a lot of adjuncts going is walking into that studio and, you know, helping students and troubleshooting and everything like it's you know I'm a Harry Potter fan so it's like (laughs) I never have to leave Hogwarts it's just it's magical whether or not you use wands or a torch it's a really cool place to stay that's a really cool way to put it (laughs) um well thank you for sharing everything yeah um and being so honest about your income and your experiences and I think the best thing I got out of this is having researched online and Googled a bunch of things, I got very negative about it. And talking to you kind of brought to light a lot of the other benefits of it, of having the experience. But uh, universities, you should be paying your adjuncts more, should be getting some health insurance, give them an office space. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to say it, I'm going to say it. Um, is there anything else before we wrap this up that you would like to add about your experience adjuncting? Sure. I mean, almost on that note, I would like to say that, and I hope for most adjuncts out there, that my experience with my immediate supervisors has been that they are aware of the situation Mm -hmm. and they do everything within their power to make it plausible, livable, doable. 
But it does come down to universities, to the customers, aka the students and the parents, to really analyze how this is starting to impact education and to make the larger changes, which is health insurance for teachers using bandsaws and fire and dangerous machinery, or not, even if you're just <laughs> teaching English, like general you know, health insurance, retirement plans. So mm. when I am 85 and maybe can't hold a torch anymore, I have something in the bank. Um, you know, That's where the big changes need to happen. And it it is really um, satisfying, and I, I'm leaving the adjunct world knowing that like I've had a really great team around me and amazing supervisors who have made that a possibility for me, and they allowed me for five years to do this hustle mm-hmm. and to keep this dream in every way they could, whether it was having classes during time periods they knew I could teach it, whether it was giving me as much heads up about what I was teaching or what's available, you know, in every way possible, the full-time faculty, in my experience, are really trying to make it the best of a situation as they, they can. They mentored you. Yes. It's like a never form of mentorship. Exactly. Ugh, I love mentors. So, Dumbledores. Oh, they make the world go round. <laughs> Shout out to all the mentors in the world. Thank you all for making my dream come true. That's really exciting. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you. And being honest. I'm very excited. Yeah. 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 Um, Thank you all for listening. Have a good night. To see images of Emily's work and learn more about her, visit perceivedvaluepodcast.com. If you'd like to send questions or comments, or maybe you think you should be on the podcast, send a message to perceivedvaluepodcast at gmail.com.